0: rinda jai namacharya shivaharadas takur ki jai Prem mm-hmm. shikho Krishna tetanya prabhuna tananda shiroitakarada shivasadigora bhakti rinda ki jai shri shiradakrishna gogopina shamakunda radha kunda gidigobradhana ki jai rindavan dhamma ki jai matura dhamma ki jai jai puri dhamma gangamai Jamuna ki jai bhakti Devi ki jai tulsi maharani ki jai samaveta bhakti rinda jai Gaur, and All, glories All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Vishnu Oum, Krishna Prasthaya, Vintalashin, Mati Bhakti, Swami Salam, Namaste, Sarasvati, Deva, Gauravani, Pacharani, Nivhasesa, Sanivari, Vasco, Chaudh, Bande Shri guru Sri utapadakamalam shi guru and Vaishnavam shi rukam saguja tam saga na lagna tam sam sajivam sad vritam sad vadutam padi sahita krishna jay chenadevam shi radha krishna padam saga lavita Sri Vishakam, kampitam sha ban chakal pachi visha give this into the Om namo bhagavate Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate vasudevaya. vasudevaya July 10th, 2019 in Radha Desh, Belgium reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 9, Chapter 20, The Dynasty of Puru, Text 21 mata bascha pitru putro mata bascha pitru putro yena jata sa eva sa yena jata sa eva sa varasva puccham dushmanta mama mam stashakuntavam mata The mother, Bastra, just like the skin of a bellows containing air, Pithubhu, of the father, Putraha, the son, Yena, by whom? Jataha one is born Saha, the father Eva, indeed Saha, the son Barashva, just maintain Putram, your son Dushmanta, O Maharaja Dushmanta Ma, do not ava, mansta. ava mansta. Insult. insult shakuntalam shakuntala Srila translation in purport. The voice said O Maharaj Jusmanta a son actually belongs to his father whereas the mother is only a container like the skin of a bellows according to Vedic injunctions the father is born as the son therefore maintain your own son and do not insult Shakuntala. Purport According to the Vedic injunction, Atma Vai Putra Namasi, the father becomes the son. The mother is simply like a storekeeper because the seed of the child is placed in her womb, but it is the father who is responsible for maintaining the son. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says that he is the seed giving father of all living entities, Aham Vija and therefore he is responsible for maintaining them. This is also confirmed in the Vedas, although God is one, he maintains all living entities with their necessities for life. The living entities in different forms are sons of the Lord, and therefore the Father, the Supreme Lord, supplies them food according to their different bodies. The small ant is supplied a grain of sugar, and the elephant is supplied tons of food, but everyone is able to eat Therefore, there is no question of overpopulation. Because the Father Krishna is fully opulent, there is no scarcity of food, and because there is no scarcity, the propaganda of overpopulation is only a myth. Actually, one suffers from want of food when material nature, under the order of the Father, refuses to supply him food. It is the living entity's position that determines whether food will be supplied or not. When a diseased person is forbidden to eat... This does not mean that there is a scarcity of food. Rather, the diseased person requires the treatment of not being supplied with food. In Bhagavad Gita 7.10, the Lord also says, "Bija, I am the seed of all living entities. A particular type of seed is sown within the earth, and then a particular type of tree or plant comes out. The mother resembles the earth, and when a particular type of seed is sown by the father, a particular type of body takes birth. The voice said, O Maharaj Dushmanta, a son actually belongs to his father, whereas the mother is only a container like the skin of a bellows. According to Vedic injunctions, the father is born as the son. Therefore, maintain your own son and do not insult him. So even though Dushmanta is the king, he can still be corrected and rebuked by higher authorities. He might think, well, I'm the king, I can do whatever I want. But the celestials are saying, no, you can't. Take care of your kid. Stop insulting your wife. This is the duty of government is to and not just let the citizens be irresponsible. And it's the duty of the universal government not to let the leaders be irresponsible. Yesterday we were talking about leaders, and ultimately, if we're not good leaders, we get in trouble with the demigods. We get in trouble with Krishna. Why aren't you doing your job properly? Take care of people. Fathers are supposed to be responsible. And Nowadays we have a real epidemic of irresponsible fatherhood, isn't it? Irresponsible motherhood, just irresponsible parents, and, and it's it's so severe, and unfortunately, the modern birth control and abortion has simply made it easy for fathers to be irresponsible. Isn't? It? Well, I didn't want the kid, you know. It was your problem. You didn't use the birth control properly. It's not my problem. Go kill the kid. Not my responsibility. But we also have, I think, a denigration of fatherhood, that the woman can get an abortion without consulting the father. And you think about the fathers who really want their children, and the woman just says, too bad, I want to get an abortion. A lot of the abortions are done by married women. even. So there's a real problem with fatherhood in the modern society. I I know in America we've gone from 4% children born out of marriage to 40% children born out of marriage. You know, the concept that there should be a marriage and that the father should be responsible and the child belongs to the father and the father should maintain the child is just, it's flying out the window. And we we have to say that this problem affects us in ISKCON. It's not that we're immune to what's going on in the outside society. You know, the, the concept of society and morality that's given in the Shastra unfortunately, is not always what plays out in ISKCON. We often take on the morality and the behavior of the outside society. So there's this concept. And we might wonder, where does this concept come from in modern society, that men can just impregnate women and walk away, not take care of the children, and that the women don't even have respect for the fathers of their children? And Prabhupada's relating this here to the fact that Krishna is the Supreme Father. So there seems to be a relationship between denying God the Father, denying that that God is the father of everyone, and taking responsibility for being a father in this world. There's some relationship between how we see God and our relationship with God, how we see Krishna, and how we behave in the world. Yes? And if we don't behave nicely according to that, then we're liable to get in trouble with Krishna. Or the demigods, you know, we're, we're liable to have some difficulty, which may show up, as Prabhupada says here, in a lack of prosperity. You know, we might not be embarrassed by a voice coming from the sky in front of all of our subordinates telling us that we're an irresponsible jerk. <laughs> you know, but we, we may not have enough food to eat, or we may not have enough money, or we may, you know, we may lose our, our prosperity because we're not acting properly in accord with God the Father. So here Srila Prabhupada is making the point that Mother Nature is not our origin. Now this is the modern philosophy, isn't it? Mother Nature is the origin. That matter is the origin. And seeing everything as matter you know, if we want to think about why they're irresponsible parents, they also think like this. Like it says in the 16th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, they think, well, it was just lust. You know, somehow, accidentally, by, by biology, you know, I had some lust and I didn't intend anything. And so they think that all of nature is like that. That there was just some, you know, little molecules and there was an electrical storm and then somehow or other there was a cell. And the cell cared about whether or not it was alive. And somehow or other the cell became two cells. And, you know, at, at some point the cell morphed into a multicelled organism and at some point there was lizards and oak trees and maple trees and orangutans and coconuts and mm-hmm. humans and elephants. And it all started from matter. You know, it all just... Which we don't see that, you know, we don't... We don't see that the floor, all of a sudden, something pops out of the floor and says, Hi, I'm alive. Gradually, turns into an oak tree. It's not, this is not our experience. But this concept that matter is supreme, that there's no God, there's no Father, and whether or not we're happy in the world and what our systems of morality is, that's all up to us. You know, I can engineer my own happiness. I can engineer my own prosperity by manipulating matter, and I can decide my own codes of mor- morality. You know, I, I can just decide that it's okay for parents to kill their children. I can decide it's okay for men not to take responsibility for their children. I, I, I can just, I can make that up because, after all, we're just a bunch of, of chemicals. There, there's no living father. There's no supplier, there, there's no maintainer of anything. You know, and, and that's where it comes from. There's, you know, we might wonder why Srila Prabhupada put so much emphasis and so many purports and so many conversations to defeat this materialistic idea of creation. You know, what does it really matter when I'm going about my business and going to my job and taking care of my house and my family and my friends What does it matter if God is the Father or if we all just came from some, you know, dead matter? And it matters because it affects everything that we do. It affects our whole concept of reality and how we deal with other living entities. So what happens when we start accepting that there is a God, a personal God? And I think every religion talks about God more or less as Father, isn't it? As a parent... What happens when we see God as the Father? You know, here Prabhupada is quoting both that He's the, the, the seed of everything and the Bija Pradapita, I am the Father who gives the seed. So, first of all, we become free from fear, we become peaceful. Right? As Krishna says in the fifth chapter of Bhagavad Gita Bhaktiram Yagatapa Samsara Maheshram Suri Nam Bhutanam Shanti Vichati. Why do we get shanti? Why do we get peace? Our, our primary emotion in this world is fear. It's like the, what underlines all of our other emotions is, is anxiety. And why do we become peaceful? Bokturam Whatever Whatever we do, Krishna is the enjoyer. If I think that someone else is the enjoyer, I'm full of fear. If I think that you're meant to enjoy the results of my activities, then if you don't enjoy the results of my activities, I feel devastated. But when I understand that God is meant to enjoy the results of my activities, it's actually very easy to please Krishna. You know, pushpam palam yome bhakti paritam It's very, very easy to have Krishna be the enjoyer of our activities. I mean, Krishna's even pleased... He's pleased by Putina, which is sort of inconceivable. You know, that Putina was trying to kill him, but because she externally appeared motherly as a device, he was pleased by that. So Krishna's pretty easy to please. I mean, if Putina could please Krishna, then certainly we can do that. But trying to please other jivas in this world is very problematic. Have you all experienced that? You know, we were talking yesterday about the relationship between the leaders and those they lead and how difficult it is for people to be pleased with their leaders. I think it's almost impossible. You know, people are always going to find fault with their leaders. And it's very difficult for the leaders to be pleased with those they are guiding. You know, that's also a problem. Someone says they're gonna show up at ten o'clock and you know, they don't call until two. I mean, I had somebody I had somebody not show up for an important international meeting. And, and where is he? Oh, he's on a plane. a plane. He's on a plane? Why is he on a plane? Oh, he decided there was a preaching program to go to that was more important than the meeting. And I finally got a hold of him. Oh, I was, was going to write an email in a week explaining why I didn't show up. So it was very difficult, right? You know, and I got very upset. How can you not show up you don't say anything? Nobody shows up to make the offering or whatever... <laughs> You know, so then we become, and we find between husband and wife, is the husband always pleased with the wife? Is the wife always pleased with the husband? Are your parents always pleased with you? Are you always pleased with your parents? Trying to please another jiva is very difficult. Trying to please Krishna is very easy. So if we're trying to please other jivas separate from Krishna, we're constantly in anxiety. Are they going to like me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to be happy with me? Trying to please Krishna, we're peaceful. Krishna's just pleased with my intentions. Krishna's pleased with a little bit of water. Sarva Maloka Maheshwaram. He's in charge. He's actually in control. One of my friends said yesterday, all fear comes from thinking somebody's in control other than Krishna. And I was, unfortunately, hearing yesterday about, not here, but some devotees in another part of the world who were having some argument as to who was in control of a project you're in control. No, she's in control, and I want to be in control. Why does she have to be in control? Why can't I have to be in control? But actually, Krishna's in control. And what we're thinking: Oh, the government's controlling my life. The GBC is controlling my life. The town president's controlling my life. My husband's controlling my life. My employer is controlling my life. And we know that none of these people are going to be expert at controlling our life, right? If you think your husband's controlling your life, or your father, or your boss, or your temple president, or your GBC, they're going to make mistakes, yeah? The air is human. They're going to make mistakes. And not only will they make mistakes, they may sometimes have ill motives. They may sometimes be selfish. And so then we're always afraid I'm under the control of a fallible being. And this fallible being is going to put me in situations of distress. But everything's controlled by Krishna, not a blade of grass can move outside of Krishna's control. I mean, if we understand that the universe is governed by a personal God under strict laws, then nobody can hurt me unless Krishna sanctions it. It's not possible. Nobody can help me unless Krishna sanctions it also. And then we're peaceful. Because Surinam Sarabhutanam, he's my best friend. Who's a better friend than a good father? Now, maybe in 2019, that doesn't make sense to a lot of us. Because a lot of people at the present time don't have good fathers. A lot of people at the present time don't know who their father is, even. You know, if if 40% of children are born outside of marriage, in many cases, there is no connection with one of them. We have to say many parents today are abusive, they're absent, they're negligent, they're abusive or something. And so when we talk about that, well, who's a better friend than the father, a lot of people may go, oh, that's not my experience. It's a very unfortunate situation, this interplay between our, under, our relationship with Krishna and our relationship with our family and friends in this world. Just like Prabhupada says, we should chant like a child crying for his mother. But if your mother tried to abort you, or if your mother abandoned you, or your mother beat you, then you're probably not crying for your mother. And you don't want to cry for your mother. You want to cry if you're with your mother. (laughs) So trying to say, calling for Krishna like that, it may not resonate. And the same way if we say, who's a better well-wisher than the father? And they go, that's a very unfortunate thing. So the materialistic mentality that we're nothing but matter causes us to have poor family relationships and then the poor family relationships causes us to have difficulty surrendering to Krishna. It's a circle. Does everybody understand that? If I see the world as just matter, if I don't see that there's a Supreme Father, then why should we take care of our children? Why should we be responsible? Why? We're just a bunch of chemicals. What what moral impetus is there? for a bunch of chemicals to have any kind of responsibility or loving relationships or anything at all. What does it matter? It doesn't. There's no significance to anything. And then when our social relationships, our familiar relationships fall apart, it makes it very difficult to understand God as the Father. It doesn't compute in our brains. That if I see God as the Father, I'll be peaceful. Because one may think, well, I wasn't peaceful with my father. My father cheated me. My father abused me. It's really a problem. But Krishna is saying, as the father, I am the greatest well-wisher. In a normal situation, there is no greater well-wisher than the father. The father is not envious. The father wants the children to be better than he is. The father who never finished school wants the children to get a college degree. This is normal. And the father is working so hard, not for himself, but for his children. I'm thinking, you know, will I have enough money to send my children to college? How much inheritance will I give my children? You know, if we see this. If we personally didn't have a good relationship with our father, we can look around us at some family that we see. We're seeing here in deity greeting Rupa Sanatana with his son and I was thinking this this is such a sweet example of the love you know the the son runs up immediately Rupa Sanatana's face just lights up and picks up his son you know this is the the natural feeling even if the son is, is rebellious the son or the daughter you know even if the child is rebellious even if the child leaves home even if the child becomes you know degraded the father always is feeling affectionate to the child. How can I do good for the child? How can I do good for the child? There was a story I read many years ago of this one man who became a criminal, a really, really heavy-duty criminal, and never had any remorse for his crimes. And even in the prison, he was a disturbance of beating up the other prisoners and so forth. And so he was put in solitary confinement And at one point in solitary confinement he basically heard a voice saying if you took all the energy you've used for criminality and used it for good you would be happy and the world would be benefited. And he turned his whole life around. Eventually he got on parole and got out of prison. I think he became a minister. started helping other people to give up crime and he attributed that to the fact that his father had prayed for him every day several times a day. And because my father was praying for me, therefore God himself showed some mercy on me. So this is the, the attitude of a real father, that even if the child becomes a criminal, even if the child hates the father, and so therefore we have peace and one thing I mentioned this yesterday, one thing that happens as we advance in Krishna consciousness is we see more and more how fallen we are. We see more and more how, how we are full of envy, we are full of lust, we are full of greed, we are full of selfishness. We're not just we're not just nice people. And sometimes we may think, well, how can Krishna love me when I'm like this? But a real father is still love. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I like to give the example that uh, one of my grandchildren, when he was two years old, so he had a little cold. And when very young children have a runny nose, they don't usually use like a tissue or cloth. They just use their body and their clothes. So he was doing this. Yeah. And he was just literally covered with mucus. I mean, literally his arms were all covered with dry and wet mucus in his clothes. And he ran to my son and went to give him a hug. It wasn't that my son didn't love his son. He didn't say, Ew, You're not my son anymore. You know? He didn't want him to get cleaned up. But he still had affection for his son. It's like Krishna Balaram when they're playing in the cow dung and the dirt. Right? Sometimes Krishna holds the tail of a calf. And the... If we let our children do that today, we'd probably be arrested. But anyways, Krishna was holding the tail of a calf and the calf is pulling him through the cow dung in the mud. And then when Krishna and Balaram come to Yasoda Rohini, what do do Yasoda Rohini do? Yeah, they they put a cloth on there. Sorry. They get a cloth, put it on there. And they pick up their children anyway. They don't say, well, you're not my kid. I don't love you anymore. You're all full of cow dung the mud I'm sure they give their kids a bath I don't know what good it does the boys run right back into the mud but this is the the attitude of the father the attitude of the parent and therefore we have peace that no matter how fallen I am how contaminated I am how foolish I am how many mistakes I've made how many mistakes I keep making Krishna is my friend He is my father And it's an eternal relationship. You know, our parents in this world, I mean, like Maharaj Chitra Ketu, he says, my son was my enemy in a previous life. He's become my son and died early to give me pain. And Prabhupada actually says in the purport that that was the fact. So, you know, in this life, maybe our father was our enemy in a previous life. But Krishna is eternally our father eternally so we have peace he's the one who's enjoying my activities not some jiva in this world whatever I do for a jiva in this world Krishna's the enjoyer of that not the other jiva whether the other jiva enjoys it or not is not relevant it's like when you work in a company the customer may or may not be happy with you but that's the, the person who needs to be happy with you is your boss if you say to the the customer, "I'm really sorry, this is our policy," and the customer's furious, but the boss says, "Thank you for upholding the company policy. That's what matters." Or one of your coworkers who says, "You know, hey, why don't we just take time off? Say we're sick when we're not, and go to the." You know, go out to the restaurant for the rest of the day no, I have to please my boss and the co-worker may say oh, you're not a good friend but that doesn't matter it's whether or not your boss is pleased so if we know that it's whether or not Krishna is pleased then he's very, very easy to please Krishna is not difficult to please and seriously, if he's pleased by Putina, then he's not a difficult person to please he's not you know, people who accidentally follow a codice get benefit. People who eat one prasadam cookie get to take birth in a good human family. Even if they eat the cookie and then go to McDonald's. Now he's just not hard to please. It doesn't take much to please him. So we're trying to please him and he's running the whole show. And he loves us. But then we might ask, well, all right. So if he's very easy to please and he's running the whole show and he's my eternal father, why do I suffer? This is the big argument of the atheist. In fact, it's this argument that gives the background to why people can say that everything comes from matter and there's no personal God. Because people say, well, if there's a personal God, why is there scarcity? Why is there difficulty? Why do people suffer? I mean, we know when Lord Ramchandra was the king, nobody suffered. There was no anxiety. People didn't even have to die if they didn't want to. there There was prosperity everywhere. So we're saying, well, isn't Krishna still the king? Isn't he still in charge? But here Prabhupada's making the point. First he says, there's enough for everybody. There's no scarcity. There's enough for the ant, for the elephant, for everybody. There's no question of overpopulation. You know, you know, you can have as many kids as you want. The earth can, can support them. And there's actually a lot of evidence that the earth has the capacity to support at least ten times the current population. But then Prabhupada talks about scarcity. What's the argument Prabhupada gives here about scarcity? If one
1: Yes, if one does not deserve. But what's the analogy he's giving
0: for not deserve if you're sick? So if you're diseased, the doctor may say you're not allowed to eat. That doesn't mean there's no food. It means that you're not being given food. Or you're on a restricted diet. Right? Who's here ever been on a restricted diet because they were sick? Did that mean there wasn't other food? (laughs) The other food was there. But we're not given the other food because we're sick. Prabhupada tells the story how when he was a a young married man, he saw some mother beating her son. And he inquired from his servant, why is this woman beating her son? And he found out that the child's older brother had typhoid. And the boy who had typhoid said, in typhoid you don't give any solid food just like clear liquids but the boy was feeling hungry (laughs) not only hungry but you know if you're in in a restricted diet it's not usually a very palatable diet usually the diet for sick people doesn't taste very good and so the older brother asked his younger brother please give me a pakora and the younger brother out of sentiment for his older brother had given him a pakora and now the older brother was near death so the mother was hitting them, the younger so so it's actually good for us to be restricted when we're diseased and what is the disease? I was just yesterday I posted it on Facebook, reading this article about an area in India where they used to grow crops from the rain they didn't grow crops through irrigation, they just depended on the rain And it was a very, very prosperous area. There were a lot of crops. People had everything they needed. People were healthy. They were happy. They were able to sell their excess. And then the area was brought up by companies that started growing crops that were based on well water, that required a lot more water. And a lot of the crops that they were growing were simply to produce hybrid seeds for sale so they would produce these hybrid seeds that then they would sell back to the farmers for a very high price and they've actually drained almost all the aquifers in the area and the place has now become a desert and now instead of rainstorms they're having sandstorms and the sandstorms are now destroying all these, they're basically destroying the whole area I was saying also how it destroyed the uh, social status of the women that formerly the women had a very important role in the community with collecting the seeds of the crops but now that's all being done by this company in their own way, an automatic way and the women lost their social standing and the whole area has been put into scarcity by greed. And the local people were saying if we could go, oh and they've had to cut down the trees, because the plants that they were growing didn't do well in shade, and so they had to cut down the trees for the plants to grow. And the kind of plants they're growing for money, they don't hold down the soil very well, so there's been erosion. I mean, on and on and on and on and on. What they're doing just for greed has created scarcity. And if we analyze, we can see any time there's scarcity is because people are greedy, they're exploited. They're thinking in the short term, how can I get a lot of money right now, never mind what the result is going to be. Never mind how... I mean, and the people who are exploiting this area, ultimately they're hurting themselves, aren't they? Right? We have the, the goose who laid the, laid the golden egg. There's a goose laying golden eggs, and they're thinking, well, I don't want to feed the goose. I just want to take... So you cut off the head of the goose, but then you won't have any eggs. Your goose is dead. So that's, that's what scarcity is coming from. It's coming from we don't want to acknowledge that there's a universal controller. We don't want to work in harmony with God's laws and nature. And then how is it Krishna's fault? You know, if we use nature in a way that is not intended and because of that we dry up our resources and we have scarcity, how can we blame God or how can we say there's no God? You know, if you buy a device and you don't use it according to the manufacturer's instructions and you damage it so you can't use it anymore, how can you blame the manufacturer? And people do that. They break their devices and then they say to the manufacturer, I want a refund. You didn't make a good device. And this is true not only on a large scale, but it's true in our personal lives. I mean, I think it's a difficult thing to admit But the reality is that whatever I'm suffering at the present moment is due to some sort of misuse. And it's not just in the past, especially when we're chanting Hare Krishna. It's not just in the past. Karmadi nirta hata kintu bhaja. When devotees are going through some difficulty, it's not just that, well, I did something, you know, a hundred lifetimes ago and I'm suffering the karma. But somehow I'm not in alignment That doesn't mean that Krishna will make all the devotees be rich and beautiful. But it does mean that we'll be peaceful with what we have. That we'll feel that we have what we need and what we need we have. We'll have shanti. If we don't need a lot for our service, then we'll have a little. We'll have what we need for our service and our life. Yes. And we'll be peaceful with that. So more and more as we progress in Krishna consciousness, we should be able to notice that my lack of happiness, my lack of peace, my lack of feeling of prosperity is due to my being unaligned. It's it's due to my being out of alignment with the, the laws of God, with the laws of the universe, with my relationship with Krishna. It's not due to Krishna's malice or hatred. It's not, it's not what it's coming from. Or somebody else. It's not due to that devotee or that devotee or that person or this thing or that thing. It's, it's not really due to any of that. That doesn't mean that I go around blaming myself, but it means that I have the capacity to make a change. That if I change my consciousness, if I change my mentality, if I change my behavior... And it's not just well if I get up early and I chant my rounds and I you know follow the principles then Krishna. It's it's also my mentality. If I go around criticizing devotees, if I hate people, if I don't see Krishna in everything, if I don't have a mood of love towards Krishna. If I don't accept that whatever Krishna is giving me is for my good, then I'm also out of alignment. It's, it's not just some ritualistic, religious following that's required. It's a whole change of consciousness.
1: And then we will
0: be prosperous. Not necessarily that we'll have a lot of cash in the bank. That's, cash isn't the only kind of prosperity. Isn't it? There's many ways. I always like to talk about the six opulences. There's, there's many ways to be rich you know, Lakshmi Devi, Shimati Vajrayani, the goddess of prosperity, and this prosperity is in six different forms. Like we read about Dhusmanta, Virya, he had it, which here was in the, the way that if he had sexual intercourse he would produce a child. But Virya means strength and potency, health. So one can be prosperous in terms of one's health. One can be prosperous in terms of fame, which implies community, that there are people who love you and people who respect you. Like one can be prosperous in terms of knowledge and wisdom and understanding. One can be prosperous in terms of freedom. Right? You are talking to me about how the work you do gives you a lot of freedom. So that's another kind of prosperity. One can be prosperous in terms of having a lot of beauty in one's life. Just like here in Bangladesh. there's a lot of beauty prosperity, isn't there? Right? The castle is beautiful. There's a museum, and the artwork, and the gardens. That also has to do with charisma and splendor. And one can be beautiful. We asked, we were talking about leadership. One can be beautiful in terms of leadership. That there are people who follow one, that one has some authority, that one has some realm, that one has some responsibility for. It's one of the items of job satisfaction is feeling that you have some responsibility. So there are all different ways to be prosperous. Prosperity, it doesn't just mean I have a lot of cash. And actually, to, nowadays, cash is a very shaky kind of prosperity. So, I mean, the other day Prabhupada was talking about how he used to be able to exchange cash for gold. If you went to any shopkeeper and you said, I don't want paper money, I want gold, they had to give it to you. And it used to be, or you could at least take your paper money to the government and they had to give you gold. But well, that's not true anymore. And nowadays, we don't even have paper money. We just have a piece of plastic. Our money is just some electronic record. So, if there was no electricity, if we didn't have any electricity, we wouldn't be able to access our money. Have you ever been in a shop where the power went out or the internet went out and you couldn't pay for anything anymore? Right? Isn't it? All of a sudden, they said, Sorry, we can only take cash. Our system is down. And if all you have is little pieces of plastic. So somebody may think, well, I have all this money in the bank, but if the if the system went down, we would have nothing. What are you going to say to somebody? Well, my electronic bank account says I have a million euros. Well, will show it to me. You know, it's not there. So that kind of prosperity is very shaky. and Nowadays it's shakier and shakier and shakier. But if we're actually aligned with Krishna, we'll have a sense of prosperity in our, And we can say, frankly, that people's suffering and lack of prosperity and poverty is not, doesn't mean that life is simply matter. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean there's no God, and it doesn't mean that God is not loving. It means that we're out of sync. So these it, it, are very important points, that life is, is, is really run by a person and a very loving person. And that if I want happiness and I want peace and I want prosperity, then I just need to accept. It's actually a pretty simple thing. I just need to accept. I just need to give up my rebellion. And it seems to be a very complicated thing. It seems to take us many, many, many lifetimes to just say, okay, I surrender. <laughs> You're my father. You're taking care of me. And when we do that, then the other things in society follow. Then we, then we do start having a bountiful society. We start having responsible fathers. And if they're not responsible, voices will come out of the sky and say, hey, get it together, buddy. Take care of your kid and stop insulting your wife. Well, that will actually happen in society. I was thinking also about Krishna as the father in Dwarka and how Krishna was so affectionate with his sons in Dvorka of course even there as a father he had some anxieties the first born son of his, of his chief wife was kidnapped as a baby yeah. Krishna also has anxieties as a father right? he wasn't returned for a long time a missing child and then he has some rebellious children also <coughs> who's, his, who's the main rebellious child we hear about well, in Dvorka. Samba? Samba. Samba's really a problem child. It's it's interesting that when the, the list is given of Krishna's children, it says that the children of Jambavati were his favorite. He was especially inclined to those children. And, but they were very spoiled children. Samba was very spoiled by his parents. And so he caused some trouble. You know, he caused trouble with the sages, right? When he was a, a child that he was teasing the, the sages and ended up being the source of the destruction of the Yadu dynasty. But still Krishna was affectionate to him. And then he caused trouble again. Remember when he caused trouble again? Okay. Yes, with his marriage. Right? So we were hearing from uh, Gopinath Nathacharya and Pupamoy about the different kinds of marriages. So the Dharma Shastra lists eight kinds of marriages And four are recommended, four are not recommended, but they're all considered marriages. And among the four that are not recommended, uh, two are considered the marriages of the Pisachas, the ghosts and the evil spirits. There's a a marriage of the Rakshasas, but then there's even lower than that, the the, marriages of the evil spirits. That's when they, they get some woman intoxicated and rape her, basically. But the Rakshasas, they, they kidnap her. So that's what Sambha did, he kidnapped her. She was in her, her swinevar She was a princess, she, Lakshmana. She could. She was Duryodhana's daughter. And she could choose her own husband. And he's like, I want her. And he just took her. And she didn't like him. She didn't even want to marry him. And he just took her. You know, and the Kuru's were very angry. You can't just do this, you know. She's our daughter. you are you doing, kidnapping her? So they arrested Sambha. But Krishna still took care of him. I mean, Balaram went, tried to go as a mediator, that didn't work very well. They just insulted Balaram. insulted Krishna, which Balaram did not appreciate. And the Balaram was going to drag the whole city into the Ganga. So Balaram was the uncle, and then of course... Finally, they brought out something. Lakshmana. I hope she ended up liking him in the long run. That story always bothers me. I'm like, gosh, you know, why did she have to marry this guy? Like, I hope it worked out. I hope they ended up having a happy marriage in the, in the long run. But Krishna, Krishna accepted Sambha. So Krishna is very kind, even when his, you know, children cause him some kind of difficulty. But to speak of all the difficulty we cause him, Samba is a great devotee, even though he does these things. But, but to speak of all the difficulty that we cause him all the time—I think I cause Krishna difficulty every day. Do you feel like that? Do you cause Krishna some difficulty every day? I mean, I don't think a day goes by when I can say, "Wow, everything I did today was pleasing to Krishna for sure." <laughs> then he still loves us and he's there for us. Questions, comments, additions, subtractions? Yes? One thing which is, uh, I'm asking for a long, long time, where is our freedom? But do you consider that our rebellion against Krishna, we called it freedom? Yes. If we didn't have freedom, we couldn't rebel. And we, we are rebelling as a way of trying to assert our freedom, yes. Exactly. The irony is that we're freer when we're not rebelling. That's always true. Just like if we're honest citizens, we have much, much, much more freedom than if we're criminals. We don't have absolute freedom as honest citizens. We have freedom as long as we follow the law. At least theoretically it's not. I mean, I'm just thinking, when I was in secondary school, uh, I realized that if I got really top grades and I always behaved, then the teachers would, most of them, not all of them, but most of my teachers would let me do whatever I wanted. I had one teacher who wouldn't do it. That really bugged me. But, like, I remember going to my English teacher and I said, Look, I already know all this. This is boring for me. You know, why do I have to sit in class? And then she said, well, if you if you get you know above a 95% on every exam, if you get an A plus on every exam, and you write one research paper every two weeks, then you don't have to come to class. You only have to take the exams. So I was given all this freedom. Whereas if I was failing and if I was, you know, causing trouble in the class, then I'd be sent to the detention room. So it's like that. I mean, I, I didn't even have to go to class. And it was actually that teacher did me a very big favor because I had to do a research paper every two weeks. I figured, well, if I could write a research paper in three days, then I'd have the rest of the time to do whatever I wanted. So she basically inadvertently trained me to be a researcher and to be a very proficient researcher and very uh, what do you call it? efficient that I can do research in a very short amount of time. I don't think that was her intention. I don't think she was thinking, well, if I give her two weeks to do a research paper, it'll teach her how to do research papers in three days. But the point is that I had a tremendous amount of being. I could go anywhere on the school. I mean, I had to stay on the school campus, but I could go anywhere on the school campus. I could work on whatever I want. So if, if someone's thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to become free by being rebellious, then you become more and, more and more and more and more and more and more restrictive. But yeah, that's what we're thinking. We're thinking I'm going to assert my freedom by rebelling against God. Yes? Um, you mentioned about uh, this person who got into jail because he was committing a lot of yeah. criminal activities, and his father was praying for him. At least he said that he, he, yes. he'd heard, so often, mm, some some relatives are safe, or "Maybe here between the devotees. Please pray for this person, that person." And then, how do we? Does it suggest to pray for the family or chanting Hare Krishna? I wrote an article on this topic that got published in Back to Godhead magazine. I wrote an article on this topic at the request of my God brother Srihari Maharaj. So, when my God brother Srihari Maharaj was in his last stages of life and I said Maharaj how may I serve you and he said please write an article about praying for others it took me a few years but I did write it so I would like to refer you to that you can find it online on the Back to Godhead site if you go to the if you go to the there's two sites there's an Indian site and there's a I think on Krishna.com, and if you go to that the site for Back to Godhead, or I don't know, in the library here, do you have all the back issues of Back to Godhead? Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. Anyway, if you have them, okay. Then it's, it'll be there also. And you could probably also find it on the VedaBase. So um, if you have VedaBase, it has all of the articles and all of the back issues. And if you look up Ramila Praying for Others, you should be able to find it. I think there is a special site, on the website, Back to Godhead. There, there is. There's an Indian website. And then there's, on Krishna.com, it has a website for Back to God. And plus you have the database, and plus you have the library. So rather than my giving you the whole article here, I would just like to refer you to that, because I did quite a bit of research on that. Uh, My husband said that he he was directly with Prabhupada when a devotee asked Prabhupada, does it help if we pray for someone who's died? And Prabhupada said, yes, it acts as a character reference in a court. I I don't have time to tell it, but uh, there's another amazing story of a person who was saved by prayer. And it's a a story of a near-death experience. It's called My Descent into Death. I forget the name of the author. But I'm not going to tell the whole story. But anyway, he was an atheist and a very aggressive atheist. He was an art professor and he would tell his students no religious paintings in my class. Well, one year, one of his students was a nun. And she was so upset at his intense atheism that when she went to the convent, she told all the other nuns to pray for him. And then when he was he was an American, when he was touring in France, he got very ill. He was put in the hospital and neglected and he died. And when he died, he was being taken by demons to hell. He describes that experience. And as they were dragging him to hell and beating him and torturing him, he heard a voice that said, Pray. And he didn't know how to pray. He thought didn't know how to pray. And he tried to remember anything he knew that had the word God in it, so he thought about the, the patriotic songs he'd learned as a child. You know, God bless America. <laughs> and so he was... In his subtle body he was doing that, and as soon as he did that, the demons and the Almadudas backed off. And they said, Don't pray. No one's gonna help you. It's all false. And he thought, Ooh, I guess it's working and then he tried to think of some more something that he knew and eventually anyway he had this really amazing experience, of course. He came back to his body, eventually recovered and he dedicated his life to spirituality. And uh, many years later, he was traveling, and he would give talks about God. And at one time, when he was giving that talk, and his audience was the same nun. And she came to him, and she said, "We were all," she said, "we were all praying for you every day." Because he was wondering, why did he have that? Why, when he was being dragged to hell, did he hear this voice that said, "Pray"? Why? Where did it come from? And he concluded it was because these nuns had been praying for him every day. So he was given a chance. He was given, he was given a chance that he took. I'm sure some people get a chance and they don't take it. But there's definitely value in praying for others. It matters. I can tell you another far out story, about I if I'll so anybody else? Yes. When we say Krishna is so easy pleased, um, I find I uh, use the meditation, he's easy pleased, that's Krishna's nature, just kind of work he But regarding how I then think about it, he's easy pleased, but not so easy satisfied. He wants he also wants more from me. So he's pleased what I'm doing. Is he happy? Is he, is he, is he that's it? You've given me everything? No. He's not so he also wants more from me. So is he pleased? With yeah, he's that's that's Giriraj. He's always anyor, anyor, anyor. But it, you know what he what is he looking for? He's looking for a deepening of a relationship which is he, which goes on eternally. See, we actually want that too. You know, I was just at this big wedding here. What, what we want for the married couple is that their love will increase over time. Isn't that what we want? We want that when they're both in their 80s that they'll love each other more than they did at the wedding. Now, the reality is for most of our relationships that doesn't happen. Our love doesn't, doesn't necessarily increase in relationships. In fact, it often decreases. But that's what we're looking for. There's a couple examples in the Bhagavatam with um, Ushan, Aniruddha, and uh, Priyavata, and Vrihishmati, where they had a loving relationship that kept increasing. So Krishna wants our loving relationship with him to keep increasing, and frankly, we want that also. We don't want, okay, now he's pleased, and and then that's it. So Krishna's always acting in a way to increase and increase and increase the happiness and increase the love. And I don't see that that means that he's not satisfied. I don't, I don't see it like that. That no, he's fully satisfied. You, you give him a little, little bit of water and he's completely satisfied. And he says, okay, let's go deeper. In, in this world, we see let's go deeper as indicative of not satisfaction now. Okay, this is okay, but let me get something better. I was thinking about Mahaprabhu's talks with Ramananda Roy. That's external. Can you go higher? That's okay. Can you go higher? But it's kind of like that with all material enjoyment. You know, we, we get satiated, but we're not satisfied, actually. Like, we're full, but it's not that we're fully satisfied. But with Krishna, my understanding is he is actually fully satisfied, even with, with something very, very insignificant. You know, one little dried up Tulsi leaf, which is mostly what you have here. Yeah, often little dried Tulsi leaves. One little bit of water. I mean, how big are the cups? They're pretty small. I like to tell the, the story of a devotee's house I visited. They had these little tiny Jagannaths. You've seen them? Those little, really tiny Jagannath deities. And next to them, they had cups that were this big. I mean they really only held a milliliter of water you know they held one drop of water so krishna is actually satisfied with that but it, there's no satiation so you can keep progressing and frankly we're not going to be satisfied from some we tell about we're not going to be Fully satisfied until our service to Krishna is a hoitakiya pratita. As long as it's motivated, we'll feel happiness, we'll feel peace, but we won't feel complete satisfaction. And that, but that's on our side. But I, I don't see that as Krishna's lack of satisfaction. I mean, as a teacher, I, I was satisfied with if the five year old could draw their letters. But that doesn't mean I didn't want them to go further and that doesn't mean I wasn't satisfied with how they were doing I was completely satisfied. I didn't expect the five-year-old to write Shakespeare. So I think also at each stage of our bhakti, Krishna is completely satisfied that we give as much as we can give at that stage, which may not be much on an absolute platform. But he also wants us to advance, but I don't, I don't see that as a lack of his satisfaction. Yeah. Sudama gives one grain. And he's actually fully satisfied. Don't don't see it like that. Spiritually, you can be fully satisfied and still go further. But as far as we're concerned, we're not going to feel satisfied as long as we're motivated. But that's. But Krishna is still satisfied with our motivated bhakti if that's all we can give at the present time. If I only have five euros in my account then I give you those five euros. I, I've still given everything that I have although what I'm giving may not be very significant. Does that make sense? So if I'm at the point of, of you know where I only have a little trace of bhakti and I'm, I'm still completely selfish but I give Krishna that trace that, that's all I have to give him today I just didn't have any more to give him. you know enough. Yeah, but that we're holding back because we're, we're fearful and we're attached. And he really understands that. Krishna was satisfied with the peels of bananas because she had a bhakti. He was satisfied with the banana peels, yes, exactly. Yeah. Krishna knows us a lot better than we do, than we know ourselves. And he's very aware that, okay, you know, you still have these attachments and these fears, and, and you're giving as much as you can in your circumstances. But he's even satisfied if we're giving less than we can give in ours. I mean he's 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 satisfied that we're giving him anything. Really? just seriously, if he could be satisfied with Putana, I mean, are we doing better than Putina? I hope. We're not trying to kill Krishna. We're trying to kill Krishna's devotees. I hope. I hope we're not. Krishna didn't even take Indra out of his position I mean Indra Indra he tried to kill everybody in love and Krishna says okay you can stay Indra we would never do that in ISKCON like never you know if if somebody accuses you of, of misusing five euros they're going to be ready to throw you out isn't it? You bought shoes for thirty euros when you could have bought them for twenty-five at the other store? How can you be the temple president? Yeah, and Indra tried to flood Vrindavan. And Krishna's like, just don't do that again, okay? Just don't be so proud. Go back, run the universe, it's okay. So I, don't know, I think he's pretty easily pleased, actually satisfied. You, you can say that Krishna wants us to fully surrender for our happiness, but it's not exactly for his, it's for our happiness. So he's saying, you know, look, until you let go of all this motivated, interrupted service, you're not going to feel satisfied because you're not going to be properly situated. That's a, that's a, that's a different thing. That's, that's just love. If he loves us, and he's like, okay, well, you know, you'll feel happy, and you'll feel peaceful, but if you really want the whole thing, you got to do the whole thing. <laughs> That's all so different. Is that all right? Okay, we should end now. Thank you very much. Thank huh? like you. <laughs>